For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take your word now and that you would bury it in our hearts. God, I pray that you would open up our minds to receive it, to understand it, to apply it. God, I pray that we would be changed and transformed. God, open us up to be pierced by your word. God, I pray also this morning that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I am your instrument this morning to get to deliver and share your word with your people. God, I pray that your power would be shown to be perfect through my weakness. God, I pray that you would fill me with strength in spite of uh, physical ailments and uh, health issues. God, I pray that you would give me the strength that I need. pray that you would untie my tongue. I pray that your people would be able to hear your word and would gain from it. God, we love you and we trust all this to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, none of us wants to live an empty life, do we? As a father of uh, four kids under the age of six, one of the main perspectives that I get to have on the world is through the the lens of Disney movies. Uh, And there's a couple of main things that I've learned from Disney movies over the last six years. Uh, Number one is that Disney teaches little princesses not to listen to their daddies, which I have a big problem with. About once a year, I go on a kick where I try to get rid of every Disney movie in our house, and I never win that battle. But the second theme that I pick up on from Disney movies is that nobody wants to live an empty life. No matter who the main character is, they're always after something better, right? A whole new world, something more than this provincial life. I'm not going to start singing, don't worry. Uh, 
One of, the, uh, one of the movies that my kids have really enjoyed recently is a movie called Kung Fu Panda. It's about a panda who uh, learns Kung Fu by the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, there it goes. Uh, the movie begins, though, with this panda who uh, somehow has a father who is a goose. And uh, in, his, in his dad's restaurant, his job is to cook noodles. But he wakes up in the beginning of the movie from this dream. He's dreaming that he's doing kung fu. Uh, but instead, he, uh, he wakes up and he's in his house. And he's got to go downstairs and start his job, his everyday job of making noodles. And the rest, of the, the rest of the opening scene ends with him uh, at the Jade Palace wanting to get inside to see these kung fu warriors. And, there's, and the, the climax scene is when he's sitting on this chair that he's tied a whole bunch of fireworks to and he's ready to launch himself up over the wall. And his dad is there and he's like, son, I thought you were going to own the restaurant and you were going to make noodles all of your life. And he says, no, dad, I want to do kung fu. But then the fireworks don't go off, so he's just sitting there, and it's kind of awkward. Bump, bump, bump. Great opening scene. That's the case for all of us, doesn't it? Movies like that identify a theme that's core to our hearts, that none of us want to live a life that is in vain, a life that's empty, a life that doesn't have meaning. And we see that in the very beginning of this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Our coming to you is not in vain. Or the other way that Greek word can be translated is empty, vacuous, filled with a void, meaningless, a black hole of emptiness. None of us want to have a life that wasn't worth it. And what you and I know is that Paul's work in Thessalonica was not in vain. That's what the Apostle Paul says in this opening verse. That his life and his ministry and especially the work that he did in Thessalonica was not in vain. It was worth it. It bore fruit. That's why it was worth it. But how is it that Paul lived a life and did a ministry that wasn't in vain? And how is it that you and I can have a life that also isn't in vain? Well, I think in this passage, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul gives us three key reasons that his ministry was not in vain. I think you and I can learn from his example and from what he's written for us. Those three things come in the second verse of the chapter. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2 says this, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I see for us uh, three main things that the Apostle Paul wants us to understand is at the core of a ministry that's not in vain. A ministry that's marked by boldness in God, the declaration of the gospel, and it all happens in the midst of much conflict or affliction or pain or suffering. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through each of these three things as we see uh, the whole chapter of 1 Thessalonians 2, and let's see what, uh, what God has for us, that we could live a life that brings glory to him, that bears fruit, and that is not in vain. Sound good? All right, let's get started. Number one is this. The Apostle Paul tells us that key to a life not in vain is boldness in our God. Uh, the Apostle Paul expands on this idea in verses 3 and 4. Look at those with me. He says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There's a key phrase in these verses I want you to hone in on. It's this phrase right here, not to please man, but to please God. The apostle Paul says that his ministry was effective because his goal and his purpose was not to please other people, 
but to please God. Now you imagine that the, the Apostle Paul, I think at first glance, we want to think, well, this guy is just a guy who's so solid. He just doesn't care what other people think. That must have been easy for him. But if you remember Paul's history, I think the opposite is probably true. Right? Paul began his ministry as a Pharisee, actually persecuting and killing Christians. Right? If there was ever a guy who wanted to prove to the church that he wasn't that guy anymore, it'd be the Apostle Paul, wouldn't it? If there was ever a guy who wanted to please people and show, hey, I'm not the bad guy anymore. I'm actually the good guy in this story. You'd think that would be the Apostle Paul. I'm sure that this was a painful struggle all of his life to make sure that this was true. Let me break down for you in verse 4 how it is that I think he accomplished that and how it is that I think you and I can accomplish that. There's a few key words in here. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that God tests us, approves us, and entrusts us. Let's look at each of those ideas. The, uh, the Lord God tests our hearts. We know that at the end of all things, the books will be opened, right? And all of, our, all of our deeds and all of our words will be laid bare, and the Lord will render a final judgment on every human being's heart. We also know that for those who put their faith in Jesus and are in Christ and have received the Lord as a Savior, we have already been approved by God. One day when we stand and we have that test and the books are opened, we will stand before God and we won't say, God, you should, you should let me spend eternity with you because I'm perfect. No, no, no. We're going to say, Lord, I have sinned, but Jesus Christ lived and he died and he rose again to take away my sin. And I have his righteousness and therefore I've been approved. And you and I have received that even now. Third, you and I have been entrusted or called. We've been given a package, right? We've been given a message, the gospel. It's been put into our hands. We've been entrusted with a mission to carry that and to take that to the rest of the world. And therefore, because of those things, because we have been tested by God, approved by God, and entrusted by God, you and I's mission is to what? Please people? No, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? Do you, do you, hear, the, you hear the recurring words in what I'm saying to you? We've been tested by God approved by God and trusted by God. And therefore our mission is to be, is to please God. He's the person that we aim to please. The person who made us, who saved us, who sent us. That's the person that we aim to please. There's, please, there's only one. When I was in college, uh, my, my close friends, the guys who lived in the rooms right around me at, at college, used to give me a pretty hard time about what a slob I was and how I dressed. Uh, uh, I, you know, you, you get into that first year of college, right? And you, uh, you're out on your own and you realize that when you get up in the morning, all you really have to do is grab a cup of coffee and keep your sweatpants on and you can do whatever you want, right? That's the realization of college. And so I totally lived into that, right? I was, I would get made fun of all the time because I would do the socks with sandals and sweatpants. That was like my morning garb, socks, sandals, sweatpants, and a cup of coffee in my hand. And that's how I would go through most of my days. But the guys who lived with me on the same floor as me all knew if John got up in the morning and he actually showered and he actually dressed and he actually looked decent, something special was happening. Because John didn't care what just about anybody in the world thought of what he wore, except for one person. And it's that beautiful woman right there. All the guys who lived on my floor knew when Stephanie, my girlfriend at the time, was going to be on campus or we were going to be going out later that day because that was the only time that John wore something even decent, even remotely uh, presentable. I aimed to please only one person in my college uh, uh, fashion days, and that was Stephanie. The Lord tells us that you and I only have one person that we're supposed to aim to please, uh, scripture, actually, this, uh, this first reference is wrong. It's actually in First uh, Timothy. First Timothy, the Apostle Paul also says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please 
the one who enlisted him. Just like soldiers, you and I have one person that we aim to please, one mission, and that's to please the Lord God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, later in the, in the passage, in verse 12, it says the same thing. It says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right, so you and I know that our mission is to please God, but there's a problem. Right? The problem is that most of you, most of us, most of all of us in the room think, hey, no problem, piece of cake. I don't really care what other people think. But the problem is that that's not actually true, is it? You and I actually have a deep-seated problem in our heart that you and I really want to please other people. The Bible calls this the fear of man. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. All right, if you don't think that you have a problem with fear of man, I mean, j- j- just think with me if you've ever had this experience. Have you ever been in a, in a conversation with somebody and you're talking with them and all of a sudden you notice that your hands get a little clammy? All of a sudden you notice that your heart starts to pound? All of a sudden you notice that you get a little, you get a little sweaty, maybe a little red around the, around the neck, around the cheeks? You ever had that experience where you're sitting in front of somebody and maybe you've got to say something hard or maybe there's somebody who's a big deal in your life and you start to have those feelings? How many of you have ever been on a stage, right? Stage fright is what we call it, right? If you've ever had stage fright, why are you afraid? It's not because the stage is too tall, right? It's because the people are there and they are looking at you and that's frightening. If you're a parent and you've ever been in a grocery store and your kid uh, sprawls out on the ground and starts throwing a tantrum, what is your first thought? Is it what's best for my child or is it, oh my goodness, I can't imagine what everybody else in this store is thinking, right? That's fear of man. You and I have a deep-seated problem in our hearts. We care deeply what other people think. And so the challenge or the question for us is are we willing to displease men in order to please God? Are we willing to do the hard thing before people in order to do the right thing before God? Friends, the world around us is becoming more and more hostile every day. The stakes for standing out are getting higher every day. Biblical Christians are looking more and more crazy every day, even to other people who would call themselves Christians. If we want to be God-pleasers, we can't also be people-pleasers. We can't make all or even most people happy, and sometimes we can't even appear reasonable to other people because our worldviews are so far apart, so different. So all of that, I think, sounds good in theory, doesn't it? But the question is, what happens when the rubber meets the road? What will you do? Right, the next time you're in a conversation and your hands start to get a little clammy, you start to sweat a little bit, you start to get kind of warm, you start to get kind of nervous, you start to worry what other people are going to think, you're standing in the grocery store and your kid's on the ground and they're throwing a tantrum, will you say what the person across from you needs to hear or will you only say what they want to hear? Will you worry what others will think about you or will you keep your mind focused on what God thinks of you? Will you worry about being laughed at or will you remember that you are already accepted, approved, 
loved by God, saved by Jesus, received the righteousness of Christ and stand loved and cared for and embraced by God the Father. And therefore you have no reason at all to fear other human beings. Will you remember that and act and speak out of that security or won't you? Will you remember in your mind and pray day to day the prayers of the scriptures? I think of passages like Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will be with you. I think of passages like Psalm 56 where the psalmist cries out, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 55, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. The scripture is full of these promises from God that you and I need to, to, to put deep in our minds and in our hearts and to pray back to God and to trust him in these moments that we are loved and approved by God and therefore we can be bold in and through God. Brothers and sisters, if we want to live a life that matters, you and I need to keep our eyes on the master. Keep our eyes on the prize. Be bold and please the Lord above other people. That's the first key that I think the Apostle Paul gives us to living a life that's not in vain. The second is to, is to declare the gospel. To declare the gospel. Take a look with me at verses uh, 3 and then 5 and 6, and let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say for us here. He says, For our appeal does not spring from error and purity or any attempt to deceive. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor were the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made, a, made demands as apostles of Christ. The Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to say that he was not motivated by deceit, by impurity, by greed, by fame, by any other bad motive. What he says is that we didn't come empty-handed in order to, to get something from you. He, he said we came with full hands in order to give something to you, namely the gospel. The message that Paul and Silas and their companions brought was true and it was delivered with right motives. How many of you have ever been sold something? Oh man, y'all are lying. <laughs> or you're sleeping, right? I mean, if you've ever watched TV or been on the internet, somebody has tried to sell you something. I don't know if you know that, right? We all need to wake up and open our eyes if we don't know. The world is always trying to sell us something, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with sales inherently. Let me be quick to say that if you're a salesman in the room, I want you to just, just it's okay. I want, you to, I want you to hopefully feel a little bit comforted by this. There are actually good ways to do sales. A good salesperson has a great product and a deep desire to connect people with that great product who need that product, right? That's, that's their job and they're excited to do it. And that's a good and a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, there are lots of also bad salesmen out there who don't have a great product and don't care if you need it or not, right? They just want to bring something to you so that they can receive money, right? They're, they're motivated by a very different uh, thing. One great example, I think of a bad salesman, I, again, I have kids under the age of six, but uh, if you ever read the book Matilda, right? Matilda's dad is, is the stereotypical uh, bad salesman. Uh, in the book Matilda, he tells the story about how uh, some of his tactics when people come to buy used cars from his lot. He talks about how he takes a drill and he gets it to the odometer and he turns the odometer all the way back, which I'm pretty sure you can't do anymore. Uh, but uh, he talks about how he adds sawdust into the engine oil to, so that he says, uh, uh, then the 
engine just purrs that runs really nice for maybe, you know, 10 miles and then it all falls apart. He talks about some of these schemes that he uses because he is motivated by one thing and one thing only, greed, right? He doesn't care anything for the person that he's trying to sell for. He cares only about getting what he can. You and I have been given the greatest news the world could ever receive. Did you know that? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest news that anybody could ever receive. The news that the God of the universe descended from heaven, lived as a man, lived perfectly righteous in a way that you and I never could. And then he died on the cross to take away our sin. And then he rose again from the dead to conquer it so that all who put their faith in Jesus could have life now and forevermore. Amen? The greatest news we could ever have and the greatest news we could ever give, that's what's been entrusted to us. And you and I are surrounded by human beings who desperately need it. Right? You and I are surrounded by human beings who, who will one day die and stand before their maker, who have sin in their lives that needs to be taken away. You and I have have a message that the whole world desperately needs. Don't live and labor for yourself. Instead, live and labor for the glory of God and the good of others by delivering to them the gospel. I think what the Apostle Paul has for us, the principle he has for us in living a life that's not in vain, is to have the right message and the right motive, to preach truth alone to the glory of God alone. Truth alone to the glory of God alone. I think it's one thing to say this, And even to pray this day to day, I know for myself and probably for many of you, this is just a morning prayer for me. I know, I know for me, the alarm goes off and I kind of, I kind of reach over and and hit the, hit the phone. And then I sort of, I sort of kind of half wake up and then I sort of say a short morning prayer. I say, Lord, uh, I pray that this day belongs to you. I pray that you would give me all the strength and all the wisdom that I need to do it. And God, I pray that this day and all that I do would be for your glory, something like that. But then my day goes on. And what is my decision-making process marked by? Is it marked by a desire for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel? Or is it marked by other things? Some of the questions that you and I, brothers and sisters, need to be asking on an hour-by-hour basis is this. God, how do you want me to use my time, my energy, and my resources? God, here they are, open hands. What do you want me to do with them? They belong to you, not to me. What do you want me to do with them? Open hands toward God, full hands towards other people ready to give to them. Whose kingdom are we seeking to build? Who are you praying for right now that they would receive the gospel? Right, you and I have been given the the greatest message. You and I are surrounded by people who need it. Who, by name, are you praying for right now that they would receive the gospel? Who are you looking for an opportunity with right now to share the gospel with? It's the preaching of the gospel of God to the glory of God that will result in a life not lived in vain. Number three, third and final thing that the Apostle Paul calls us to in order to have a life not lived in vain is he says that we must do all these things, a life of boldness, a life of preaching the gospel amidst conflict. Let's get back to verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In the midst of much conflict. We can read the story of how the church at Thessalonica started in the chapters of Acts 16 and 17. 
And what we read there is that the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 had been in a, in a city called Philippi, and there he had been attacked, he had been beaten, he had been thrown in jail. And then after that, he leaves the city and he goes to another one to do the same thing, to preach the gospel. And he arrives in Thessalonica and he starts preaching and people get upset just like they did in the last city and they come after him. And in this case, actually Paul kind of gets away, but instead the people whose house he had been staying with, they beat them and actually charged money uh, against them. In Acts 17, uh, the house of a man called Jason. Paul boldly preaches the gospel in the face of suffering. Here's, I think, the principle for you and I. A life not in vain is a life that includes pain. A life not in vain is a life that includes pain. Now, some want to tell you that this is not true. There are some people that really want you to believe that this is not the case, that this is not God's design for your life. That if you just live a good life, if you just have faith in Jesus, things are going to go well for you. And if things aren't going well, well, you just don't have enough faith or you must have done something wrong. I mean, this is the perspective of Job's buddies in the book of Job, right? This is their perspective. Job, bad things are happening to you. You must have done something wrong. You just need to, you need to obey God and trust God more and everything will go right in your life. But this is not at all what the Bible says. I think of passages like, like uh, Romans chapter 8. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen, right? Hallelujah. But then listen to what he says at the close of this verse. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All these beautiful promises of who we are in Christ. And yet, because we are united to Christ, we must suffer with Christ. That is part of the calling. They're a package deal. Think of 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is normal. It's not strange. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. One more, and there's so many in the Bible. We could, we could, we could list so many, but one more. Uh, James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Brothers and sisters, God promises suffering, not comfort in this life. I want to give you just two reasons that suffering is a part of a life not in vain. One that's for us and one that's for others. Let me just walk you through these quickly. Number one, suffering tempers our taste for the world and teaches us to treasure God. Look at all those T words. You like that? Isn't that, isn't that slick? You, know, you guys know Pastor Ryan like eats, sleeps, and breathes alliterations. That's like his game. And so I, I just, last night, I was really feeling it. And I was like, man, I'm at four T words in one sentence. I'm just going to go for it. And we'll, 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 uh, there, there's the, there's the challenge. Let's see, next week, five, Pastor Ryan. Let's see, let's see what happens. Uh, suffering tempers our taste for the, for the world and teaches us to treasure God. Suffering reveals what it is that we are really trusting in, doesn't it? Right, when suffering comes along, it's kind of like somebody comes and kicks the crutch out from underneath us. Right, it shows us what it is it that we were leaning on. What was your trust in? 
What was your hope in? What is it that was most valuable to you? What is it that was going to shake your world if it came apart? What is it that you were really hoping and longing for? Maybe worshiping even. Right? Scripture calls these things idols. The things that we trust in. The things that we want more than anything else in our lives. Our hopes, our dreams, our fears. Our what ifs and our if onlys, right? What if I were to lose that, my whole world would come apart. Or if only I could have that, my whole life would be made better. Suffering kicks these things out from underneath us and gives us a chance to turn away from these things and turn back to God. Let me come back to a passage we just looked at, James chapter 1. He says that these trials, the testing of your faith, produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? The, right, James says that suffering is necessary for you as a Christian to be, to be healthy, to have your trust fully and completely in the Lord. Now, that's not an easy thing to hear. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just be honest for all of us on that, right? That's not easy to hear. Maybe for you this morning, that's really, really hard to hear. Let me, let me tell, tell you a quick story. This, this is a little bit of an embarrassing story from, from my life about uh, a way that I think God kind of kicked the crutch out from underneath me. Uh, so, some, so a lot of you know, and uh, I can't share the whole story in every sermon, but a lot of you know that I have a lot of health issues and that uh, those involve my digestive system, uh, being able to eat food. So many years ago when I could, when I could eat a normal diet, uh, uh, back when I was uh, much younger and uh, we didn't have any kids, and uh, uh, one of the things that I would get kind of obsessed about was having the right experience of relaxation. All right, I worked really hard at my job all day and all week, and I thought on Friday night when I come home, all right, I worked really hard, you know, I, I kind of got my ducks in a row, I got things kind of worked out and done and sweet, and now I did my work right, now I'm going to do relaxation right, right, and I'm going to get it, I'm going to do it really well, I want to do it really well. And so I would get in my mind on my drive home from work on Friday night this picture in my mind of perfect relaxation, and it was usually something like this, hot, juicy burger off the grill, ice cold drink from the fridge and my favorite movie sitting on the, on the, on the couch, right? We didn't have any kids at this point, right? You, you got to keep that in mind, uh, <laughs> right? Hot food, cold drink, great movie. And the timing was critical, right? The burger had to come off the grill at the right time. If it sat too long afterwards, it was going to be cold, perfection ruined. Uh, if the drink wasn't in the fridge long enough or if it came out too early, it was going to get warm, perfection ruined. If the movie wasn't ready to start, I mean, ready to like sit down and hit play, so you have hot food, cold drink, movie, man, everything was ruined, right? And I would literally think about these things. Isn't that ridiculous? You all are thinking, John is so messed up. Uh, <laughs> But you've probably thought some of these things, okay? Uh, right? I, I had this focus on, on getting the, the right experience of relaxation. And then guess what? Kids came along. And now we never have hot food. It's always cold. We never have cold drinks. It's always warm. And I never get to pick the movie. Right? And then even on top of that, we've got my health issues. Uh, from, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but a majority, about 90% of my diet is just liquids. I drink protein shakes. That's my, that's my diet. So those things are kind of all off the table. And by God's grace, I can kind of laugh at that now and say, man, what, what an idol I had. And the Lord kicked that right out from underneath me, as painful as it was. So the Lord uses suffering in our lives for our good. But the second thing, the Lord also uses suffering in our lives 
for the good of others. Here's the way I want to frame this point. The packaging is part of the product. Now, that's a, that's a phrase you might have heard like in the marketing world before. Um, the packaging is part of the product. Uh, uh, if I could be a little nerdy and share with you a company that I think does this really well, uh, no matter what you think about this company morally, uh, Apple. Uh, if you've ever been to the Apple store, when you go and you buy your new iPhone, right, the, the, the Apple sales associate, they always remember to ask you, uh, do you want me to open it for you or do you want to open it? And I always say, I want to open it. Right, because I'm excited because that packaging, that white box, it's perfectly fitted so that when you like open it, there's like this vacuum suction and then, and then like the, it comes out. And then you don't, I mean, get this, so many packages, you have to like fish around to try to get your thing out of there. The iPhone is perfectly laid in, there's this little tab, right? You pull the tab and the phone just comes right out of the package. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Okay, the packaging makes the product even better, okay? Now you and I, have been all called to share the same gospel, the same message. It doesn't change from person to person. But you and I are also all different vessels in which the gospel is carried to people. And the Lord has ordained both of those things. If suffering is part of your story, your vessel, your way of carrying the gospel, God has designed that for the good of other people. Let me just share with you real quickly uh, uh, quick missionary stories, um, um, the way that the Lord has used this on the mission field before. Let me just, uh, I'll narrow it down. Let me just share one of these. Heard this story from, uh, uh, in writing from a guy named J. Oswald Sanders. He told the story of a man who was preaching the gospel in, in India, and he was traveling from village to village by foot. And he had had this long day of going village to village, and he would show up and he would preach the gospel. And then he would walk and he would go to the next village and he would preach the gospel. And he got to the last one of his day, and he went in and he preached, and they just, they just, they just said, no, go away. We, you know, we don't want to hear. They just totally rejected him. And the guy said, fine, and he was just totally exhausted. And so he went to the edge of the village. He just laid down uh, on the grass and just fell asleep. And when he woke up in the morning... He was surrounded by the villagers. And they said, sir, we're so, in, in whatever language they were speaking, they said, sir, we're so sorry. We would love to hear the message. He said, why? As you slept, we saw the blisters and the bleeding on your feet. And we knew that you must be a holy man sent from God. The suffering that that man went through was a testimony to these people that the Lord used so that they would hear, that they would listen, and they would receive the gospel. If there was one best person and one best way to share the gospel, we would all just do that, wouldn't we? <clears throat> we've got phones, we've got recording devices. Let's say it was Billy Graham, right? If, if there was one best way and one best person to share the gospel, I'd just carry around my little clip of Billy Graham and I'd just say, hey, here, hear about Jesus. And I would just sort of pass it to them. All right, but that's not the way it works. Some stories from my own life. Um, just, uh, just two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, uh, I, was, I was sitting right about there in the middle of uh, the worship center. I was getting to hear Pastor Nate preach the word. And I was listening, and I remember, I remember just, just I, I was going through kind of a, a hard time. The last six or eight weeks have just been a little bit of a poor time in my health. Haven't been able to eat much. Been very weak. Been very tired all the time. And I was just really feeling it that morning. And I was like, man, uh, just kind of a 
Just kind of a tough morning. And at the end of the service, I walked to the back, as I usually do, getting ready to shake people's hands, and I was just standing in the back during the last song, and uh, I didn't warn him that I was going to say this, so I won't give you his story or his full name, but uh, my brother Kurt, a uh, member of this church, uh, uh, wandered back to the back and, and uh, put his arm around me and talked to me for a minute uh, there in the back, and he's a brother who has gone through a lot of suffering himself, uh, uh, has been in a lot of pain the last year or so, pain that we would call chronic. Both of us deal with some issues that, that just brings us constant day-to-day kind of obstacles and pain that we each go through. And he put his arm around me and he just said some very simple Christian truths. He said, he just said, John, you know, you look down today and he said, he said, the Lord has a purpose for you. The Lord is going to use this. The Lord is not done with you yet. The Lord has a calling for your life, even though this is really hard. And he put his hand on my gut and he prayed for me right there. And anybody could have said that, couldn't they? I mean, those are just basic Christian truths. The Lord has a plan for your life. The Lord has a purpose for you. The Lord loves you. And yet, I had just about lost it, right? I'm right on the edge of tears as this man is saying this to me and praying for me because I know what he has been through. And I know what it costs him to say that. The vessel the Lord used to bring that truth to my heart had a huge impact on the way that I received it. Me being up here this morning is a little bit of an example. I am not up here this morning because I am the best preacher in the world. I am not up here this morning because I am needed at at Peace Church. We have four terrific pastors who can preach the gospel. I am not up here this morning because I am the best or because I am the most talented or because I am needed or because there isn't anyone else to do it. I'll tell you what, two weeks ago, sitting there feeling that way, watching somebody else preach, I thought, boy, Peace Church does not need me to preach in two weeks. I might as well just let them know that, that, that I'm good, that those guys can handle it. But I didn't. And you know why? Because... God called me to do this. I don't know why. I don't know what the purpose is. I don't know what what it is that the Lord is is, is going to use this vessel for, but I am convinced in my own mind that the Lord called this vessel to bring his word to you this morning. And I don't know why the Lord does that. I don't know why the Lord uses any of us, but that is how he does it. The Lord didn't call you because you're the best. Later today, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a very humbling passage. The Lord says that uh, the Lord didn't call you because any of you are great or especially intelligent or anything like that. The Lord chose the weaker things to make foolish those who think they're great in the world. The Lord called each one of us, if anything, more specifically because of our weakness than because of our strength. God designed us weak vessels to bring his word to other people. And suffering is a huge part of that. A life not in vain is a life that includes pain. The way you respond to pain has the power to actually turn pain back on itself by letting it refine your heart to treasure God more and by letting your story speak to others. Brothers and sisters, let the Lord use your suffering and all that you are. The Lord has approved you. You are approved and called by by the Lord this morning to live a life that is not in vain. I pray that you would go and do that. Would you please stand with me? Let me pray for you as you go. Let's pray. Father God, pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. God, I pray that you would take your word and that you would bury it in our hearts. I pray that it would transform us, mold us, and shape us. God, I pray that you would use us for your glory and the sharing of the gospel to the world this week. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.